0: up. Jimmy Murray here with Frank Petalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash-flowing real estate.
1: Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to our new episode, The Backstage Guide to Real Estate with Matt Piccini. We are here to help you crush your goals.
0: What is up, Matt? Welcome back. Excited to have you. Excited to hear about all the new things that you're working on.
2: Thanks. It's a pleasure to be back. I'm here.
0: Definitely. So I think Frank kind of uh, completed some foreshadowing there, provided some. Um, What is this about, I hear? You've got a new book out? I do. I do. I wrote a book. Uh, It's called The Backstage
2: Guide to Real Estate. Um, And the subtitle is Produce Passive Income, Write Your Own Story, and Direct Your Dollars Toward Positive Change i love that that's awesome <laughs>
1: love that. can you show um for those that are on video matt can you just show a picture of the yeah front? yeah
2: it's right here this is what it looks like so for those who are on audio it's a it's a cover it's a it's a stage and oh, there's awesome. a curtain that is being pulled back and it's revealing uh, actually a new york city skyline behind it um and it's sort of sort of uh foreshadows what's in the book, which is, you know, me sort of peeling back the curtain on real estate in general, but specifically on syndications and how to look at syndication. So so the book goes through, you know, my journey in real estate, which started off with a a single, you know, a primary residence actually, and then a vacation home and then a house hack and some fix and flips. And, you know, I ultimately ended up in, in the syndication world, which is where um, just for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure all your listeners do, but maybe there's a new a new listener today. It's where a bunch of investors pool their money together to take down these larger assets. and that that's where I've sort of focused my time and energy over the past six years. And there's a lot of different things going on sort of behind the curtain, if you will. Um, and so the book reveals a lot of those um, as as you get through, uh, as you go through the journey of discovery that, that I went on um, and through the, through the journey, I actually shared different keystone concepts that I learned along the way. And actually Jimmy Murray is <laughs> the inspiration behind one of the keystone concepts. So it's keystone concept number three, which is learn to pivot. Because the last time that we were talking, uh, that it was a few years ago that I was on this uh, on, on this podcast, and you said, "Wow, Matt, you just you 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 do you pivot a lot, which is which is great." And you know, you, if you come up against some sort of obstacle, you just and I was like, "Yeah, I do. You know, I just I'd never really thought about it. I guess it just kind of came natural to me. And I was like, "You know, it's important. It's something that I do." And so, anyways, Jimmy's the inspiration for Keystone Concept Number Three.
0: That means a lot. Um, I remember thinking about our conversation. It was amazing how you, uh, another kind of synonym or uh, synonymous phrase is like rolling with the punches, right? Not giving up, mm-hmm. but figuring out how you become successful. It may not be what you set out for in the beginning. It might be slightly different in order to reach that goal, but it was sincerely impressive. <clears throat> I remember your stories in the beginning. Um, well, thanks, so that's I
1: appreciate really
0: cool. that. I appreciate, I appreciate the shout out. <laughs> Helping. Yeah, that, was yeah. a, that was a no cool doubt.
1: surprise. So yeah. to, to, to back up a little bit, Matt, especially people that don't know you, can you um, dive in a little bit on why it's called Backstage Pass? You know, wh- wh- where did the concept of backstage come from? You're talking about real estate, but some people that don't know you, where does that come from? Can you explain that?
2: Yeah, of course. Happy to. So I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and I moved to New York City to pursue a career in theater. I went to a a a, 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 a school, a musical theater conservatory called the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And um, once I graduated from there, I was a professional actor for five years. I was in 15 different professional productions throughout the United States. I then got involved in digital marketing and had a whole career doing that. I did that for 18 years. And during the last 10 years of that, I started investing in real estate as a hobby. It was something that I did on the side. And that has then become um, my full-time job. As of about six years ago, I transitioned into doing that full-time. So that's the that's sort of uh, the the. It's a little bit of a nod to to my background as an actor, and I still am involved in the theater. My wife, her full-time job is in uh, theater on the business side of of musicals and Broadway and and and. Uh, and other uh, types of events and things like that but mainly Broadway and we've actually been involved in investing in Broadway shows which actually most of them are syndications just like a real estate syndication and we've actually co-produced two Broadway shows that won Tony Awards so I'm actually a a Tony Award winner now which is really cool
1: so um, that's 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 a lot of
2: fun thanks yeah
1: that's awesome. What did you win uh, the Tony? And if you can tell the name of the. Of the uh,
2: yeah, sure. So Erica and I are co-producers and we, we won the Tony together for uh, for two different shows. One of them is David Byrne's American Utopia. And uh, if those of you probably remember David Byrne, I mean, I do from high school because I used to love the Talking Heads and he was the lead singer for the Talking Heads. He has a phenomenal show. That uh, ran on Broadway, and then it's actually running currently now. It came back because it was very popular and did great, and it got a special Tony Award because it's not really a musical. It's uh, it's David Byrne performing songs, and there's a story to it. It's really a by bi- almost by, bi- you know, like autobiographical story about him and his thoughts on life in general, and and many different issues and topics. Um, it, it's a, it's a phenomenal phenomenal show. And so we were fortunate enough to be co-producers of that. And also we were co-producers of Moulin Rouge, which won 10 Tony awards, including best musical. And it's a fantastic show. You know, they, it's, it's, a lot of people know the movie, which had a lot of popular music in it. And um, you know, from there was like Nirvana and Madonna and just kind of like everything in between Elton John and the, the police and, you know, everything they, they, they use a lot of those songs, but then they brought in like Katy Perry and Adele. And, you know, cause there's been a lot of music that's come out. The movie I think is around 18 or 19 years old now. And so they brought in a lot of more current stuff too. And it's an awesome show, super fun, incredible costumes, music sets, lighting. I mean, it's just, it's an awesome show. So really proud to, to, to partner with my wife on that as well.
1: That's cool awesome spinning back to um, real estate maybe you can uh, talk about like one of your first deals and that's really what gets you motivated I'm sure to keep growing with it
2: yeah well you know if you think back to 2001 and where you were in 2001 I was in New York City and I had my own little boutique agency doing the digital marketing stuff that I had mentioned and The dot com bubble burst, right? Yeah. And so my business was imploding. I mean, m- clients were going out of business left and right. The larger businesses just were not spending money on any digital marketing co- things sure. at all. And I was, I was, I mean, my business was sinking. And as luck would have it, at that time, um, the landlord for for my apartment that I was renting uh, told me I had ninety days to get out of the apartment. <laughs> So, yeah, it 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 hit me like a ton of bricks. And you know, trying to find a place in New York without a job, really, with the business that was not doing well and had really bad financials, was was really mission impossible. I I, there was I didn't know how I was going to do it. But Showtime was a was a was a client of mine, the cable television channel. They offered me a position to come in house, and. Um, I wanted to rent a place on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, um, but my sister lived up in Washington Heights, which is 30 minutes further north, not where I wanted to live. But she saw an ad on a bulletin board for a co-op apartment for sale, and after looking into it, 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 it would actually be cost me less per month out of pocket to 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 actually own a place, and I'd be actually owning something and gaining equity in a, in a property. And,
0: now and so I did that. Bulb, right, like, there it Well, is. The,
2: not yet, not yet, not yet. Almost, almost. So what happened was two and a half years later, I ended up selling the unit and I quadrupled my initial investment. And that was the light bulb moment for me. <laughs> yes. You know, that was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> like what just happened? This is incredible. And how do I do that again? And that's what really set me on the journey into real estate, right? I was like, okay, how do I do that? I mean, I used the, the, those profits to buy a place now on that Upper West Side of Manhattan where I had wanted to live to begin with and then was on the search. How do I do that? How do I find something? And I ended up buying a piece of land in Connecticut and then building a house there. And then after that, and which, which became a rental, um, short-term rental, and then I ended up uh, doing what's now called a house hack. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but it was a a duplex that I bought where one unit was rented out. We lived in another one in the other unit. And when we ended up moving, we ended up then moving to Miami and we're able to rent out the entire townhouse, both units and have some nice cash flow coming in. And then when we moved to Miami is when I started looking into doing the real estate full-time and that's when I got involved in the syndication. So it, it was a long path. I mean, it was like a, from from the I mean it was 10 years from the first uh investment property to to uh going full time into real estate. And it's been six years since then. So there's there's just been a lot of steps
1: along the way. And for those of us that are not from the city, a co-op apartment is that like a condo, or can you explain it?
2: Yeah. So co-op is one of the 60 different definitions that I Have in the book because there are all these real estate terms, and people are like, What the heck does that mean? So I try to explain it in in a way that people can understand um, and, and put it in a glossary at the back. So, what a co op is, is you're buying shares in a corporation that owns a building. That's technically what it is. You don't buy an actual apartment, you're buying shares in the company that owns the building. And with those shares, you get a proprietary lease. And the lease is for the specific unit. And so it's a way that, you know, a, a buildings could be owned um, by people, you know, if, if someone, you know, owned a building and wanted to sell it off, you know, a, a, an owner and, and it, you know, there was multiple apartments, they could do that and, and use that as a mechanism to to. To sell them. Um, I'm not exactly sure why they would choose a co-op versus a condo. Um, The co-ops are sort of ubiquitous here in New York City. Most buildings are co-ops. The thing with the co-ops is they're run by a co-op board, and the co-op board has a lot of um, power on what they're going to do. For instance, a co-op, one of the co-ops that I lived in, did allow rentals. You could could rent uh, your apartment, but they had complete control over who they were going to let you, you rent it to. They would have to come in for an interview. And the same thing with a sale. When you look to sell your co-op, the board actually has to approve it. Now, let me tell you, uh, co-op boards can be a real nuisance, um, but I found that being part of the co-op board um, was good and, and helpful, and we could make improvements to the building. Now, the first place that I bought was a co-op, but the place on the Upper West Side was a co-op. Now, here's a funny story. So joining the co-op, I, I, I got involved in the board. I ended up becoming the board president at one point. We made some great improvements to the property, which improved the quality of life for the people in the property and also improved the property value at the end. When I went to sell the property uh, on the Upper West Side, I was... Um, I was on the board, so I had to recuse myself when the prospective buyer went in for a buyer interview, and the co-op board discussed whether they would approve the sale, and they denied the sale, and that upset me very much,
0: and- What are they asking for questions in these interviews in order to- uh, They,
2: well, so for the co-op board, they, you know, we- our, I was advised as a member our our board was advised as a membership board that if if we wanted to deny membership we really shouldn't like give any sort of reason because then there could be like some sort of like suit of some sort that we were discriminating for one reason that's like
0: that's exactly Yeah what so
2: so, so you yeah. yeah so you just like approve or not but you know I, I, you know as a member of the co-op board though it would be it was like my duty like my fiduci- fiduciary duty uh, to make sure that whoever was purchasing the property was qualified in, from a financial perspective, because what happens is, as a, as a part of that co op, there are there are monthly fees that are paid co op dues, and those dues go to you know paying for the maintenance of the property, you know, making sure the trash is taken out, things like that. You know, we had a super, also property taxes. Uh, lighting for the the common areas, and you know there there are lit- le- legitimate expenses. And if if someone is approved to move into the co-op, and then they are unable to make those payments or refuse to make those payments, whatever, then the co-op has a problem because someone is not paying their fair share. And then we'd have to go into some sort of like court you know ask them to leave or go into some sort of court proceeding and it could be lawyers fees and I mean these things could go on. and it's New York where the land the 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 laws are very sort of like tenant friendly and so um it just would be it could become a very difficult thing that could go on for years and years right so we want to make sure that whoever would be coming into the, the building would actually be able to like you know pay their Uh, you know what they've agreed to as their fair share right so that's that's sort of one of the things that you want that they look like i i think they also want to look at you know well is this person going to be like a rebel rouser and have like parties to like 4 a.m every night or something that's going to be like a disturbance to because it's new york city i mean the your next door neighbors having you know a rave every night it's not going to be easy for you to sleep because you're going to hear pounding upstairs so i think that it's, it's that kind of stuff um the I was told. Um, so the the person who was trying to that I was trying to sell the property to was denied, and you know, I wasn't given a reason. But you know, off the record, I was told by um, some members of the co-op board that, that you know there, there was just some there were some untraditional things with her finances, which was true. I mean, there was it was like a weird it was a, a lady, but she had a kid who lived nearby who was ve- who's. Husband made a lot of money, but she didn't necessarily have a lot. I don't know, whatever you know, just, for whatever reason, it got denied. That's not the point. The point is, I was really, really upset because I was in contract to buy another place, and so I needed to do something. What so, year would this
1: spin around?
2: Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. This would have been um, 2013. Okay, this was 2013, and um, so my friend john dear friend of mine who who does real estate stuff he says to me he says list it for 50,000 more i don't i don't i'm going to make up the numbers here because i don't remember what it was listed for i think you know maybe it was like it was listed for like 600k or something he's like list it for 650 i was like you're crazy he's like no 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 list it for 650 and then when someone comes in and when someone's interested like be willing to like drop down 50K and they'll feel like they're getting this great deal. So I'm like, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, at this point, like, what do I have to lose? So I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I listed for 650 and I'm like, if it doesn't sell and we get 650, I'll drop the price down, right? So I, I listed it at 650. <clears throat> The day that I list it, I have like a, uh, I have like a, 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 an open house like the next day or something. I get a phone call from a broker. There's someone, they wanna come see it. They wanna be there before the open house. They come, they see the property, they do a tour. They leave the house. Uh, five minutes later, I get a phone call and they make me an offer, full price. Full asking oh. price. So, I got, So thanks to my board being difficult, I had an extra fifty thousand dollars, which we used wow. to renovate the townhouse when we moved in to the to the place in Brooklyn. Right, so I tell that story in, in the book. It's just one of the the many stories in the book. But yeah, I mean, it's like it was crazy. So like, thank you, go on board for being difficult because <laughs> it ended yeah. up making it really great for me. And thanks to John for his brilliant idea.
1: So yeah, yeah.
2: it was crazy. Yep.
1: That's amazing. Just the concept of, uh, you know, what what we think is a struggle and it was a struggle and you were quite upset and then it ended up working out pretty well. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so. it was awesome.
0: <laughs> so, so in my opinion, it kind of sounds like a co-op is almost like an HOA on steroids, like more control than an HOA would typically have.
2: I, I would agree with that statement. I think that's correct. Okay.
1: There you go. Um, so your book is mostly about passive income and, uh, Jimmy and I, you know, we have a podcast here, the cashflow Kings, obviously passive income is super important to us. So can you give us a couple ways in which, or just help us out? Maybe, I I know you don't want to give the whole book away in any way, but let's talk about some of these things, you know,
2: I I, I don't, I don't want to give the book away, but I will tell you, (laughs) this was not inspired by you. But Keystone, guess what Keystone concept number five is called?
1: Uh, how about you love cash flow? <laughs>
2: it is called cash flow is
0: king. There we go. There we go. And,
2: and so, you know, the thought behind that is really like the, the thing that my father taught me. When I bought my first apartment, he said, Matt, you'll never lose money in real estate if you never have to sell. Because we know yep. real estate goes through different cycles, right? Just like the rest of the economy, there's ups and there's downs. And we don't know, you know, the variables are like how far up or how far down it's going to go and for how long, right? So we never know that. But as long as you have cash flow coming in, you can ride out those inevitable dips in the market, right? And so having that cash flow is the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned, when you're looking at investing in real estate. Having right. that cash flow gives you that, that buffer that you need.
0: I think too many people right now are focused on capital appreciation, which I know some demographics or some folks who come from certain regions of the world, like they, they bank on capital appreciation versus the cash flow. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'm just greedy in the sense that I want cash flow. Capital appreciation it's capital appreciation is like the icing on the cake, the extra stuff. Like when you purchase that income producing asset. You have to focus on the cash flow and make sure that that's there. And that's the protection that your dad was talking about. Well, exactly,
2: because you you don't know what's gonna happen with the appreciation. Like the the market, right, is beyond your control as an owner, right, Uh, it's gonna do what it's going to do. Um, You know, if, if the top, you know, depending on where you are, but let's say the top three major employers in your area, like decide to move to another part of the country and then all of a sudden, you know, the jobs are gone. You're, 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 in a, you're in a bad position by no fault of your own. And you didn't do anything wrong. It doesn't even mean that the real estate market as a whole is bottoming out. Maybe you think, you know, real estate's going to be great forever, which we know that there are cycles. But let's say you just think it's going to be that way. There are circumstances that are beyond your control, right? So, you know, the way that I um, underwrite the deals, the ones that I invest in or the ones that I'm sponsoring and, and what I, you know, Talk about in the book is um, you know having that cash flow and then underwriting for for dips in the market. You know I underwrite my deals so that with 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 the cap rates going up, which means values are going down because of that inverse relationship. Because I don't, I really don't know what, where things are going to be five or ten years from now. So if I look at like a historical average for that area, so let's say I'm buying something at a four cap right now, but historically it's a five and a half cap area. I'm going to underwrite towards that five and a half cap at exit. And that way, you know, I, I am I'm re- actually writing underwriting for like not appreciation, but basically depreciation. But I'm forcing appreciation by the improvements I'm making to the property so that I'm increasing the income, decreasing the expenses so my NOI goes up. So even though that cap rate number goes up, uh, my value is still higher than where it was when I purchased it. But right. if you're just banking on appreciation, I don't really think that's investing. I think that's speculating.
1: Ah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's going on a lot, right. especially with the uh, the smaller multis in most markets right now, is that people are buying because they think that in five or 10 years, it's automatically going to be higher. Now, some of that might be true because of inflation. But uh, what's what's crazy right now versus like when you're doing the big deals, these business level deals, you know, a hundred unit, et cetera. Basically you're creating a business plan and you can't predict the future, but you're writing as if you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And you're, you're being extra careful, and conservative by um, saying, well, if rates aren't as good, if values aren't as good, we can still sell this and make a good profit.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, is there a certain what's your typical deal right now? I mean, so you got the backstage guide to real estate here. W- what are you looking at? What do you want? We all want to make money, we all want cash flow, appreciations, icing on the cake, as Jimmy said. What what's the perfect deal for you? If someone came to you and said, Hey, I have this, what would be one of the best deals you could hear right now?
2: Oh, um, you know, I don't know, I could make up some sort of fictitious deal that would be incredible. But as an investor, I'm just looking for base hits, you know, good solid base hits. So, So excuse me, for me, that looks like eight to ten percent cash on cash return. Um, And I like to see, you know, double your investment, uh, you know, in five to seven years. And you know, anyone can do that on paper. Anybody can write that. So really it's okay. Well, what is the underwriting behind that? What are the mechanics that are getting to that? And that's, that's what I, some of the stuff that I talked to in the book. I mean, there's things that you could like, I mean, look at, look at an example of just talking about like an exit cap rate, right? By changing that exit cap rate by just a quarter of a point can make a huge, huge difference on a deal. I mean, we're working on a deal right now and I was just doing a cap rate sensitivity chart last night and uh, it was like, based on our projections, it was like a 93% return. But if we were a quarter of a point off on the low end, the return went down to like 70%. But if we're a quarter off on the other direction, it was like 120% return. So, you That's know, those, yeah, so those little, what seem like little things are different. So, you know, I can have a deal and Frank can have a deal and Jimmy can have a deal, and you know, I, you know, even in the same market, but maybe I'm doing 3% rent growth and you guys are both underwriting 2% rent growth. And I'm like, oh, hey, look, my cash on cash is 10%. and My return on investment is 100% in five years. I mean, that sounds good. But then once you start looking and go, well, Matt's projecting this really high rent growth. You know, Frank Steele is only projecting 90% return and 9% cash on cash, but he's being more conservative. He's got it at 2%. Rent growth, you know, that's a that's a big thing, and so you really need to, as a passive investor, peel behind the curtain and understand the mechanics of what's going on. And I see a lot of deals out there. Um, You know, I had I had this big meetup that I was running in Boston. Frank, you've been there a bunch of times, and uh, I I don't have it anymore because I moved back to New York, but. Um, it's still running. It's great. People should go to it. If anyone is in earshot of this, you should check it out. But the um, people used to come up to me after the meetup. Uh, people started finding out about syndications, investing out of state, started to feel comfortable with it over time and say to me, hey, man, I'm, I'm thinking about doing my first deal. Will you look at this deal with me? Would you give me your advice on it? And I would say, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you whether you should do a deal or not, but I'm happy to look at the underwriting with you and point out Things that, you know, I might question as a passive investor. Like, why do they have 10% rent growth every year for the next 10 years? That seems kind (laughs) of really high. Like, how are they justifying that? And um, those things were happening a lot. And it became a thing that was taking up too much of my time. And that's why I wrote the book. I mean, I started writing the book. The book originally was like an 80 page document that was just kind of like how to look at underwriting of a deal. And it was really boring and super dry and like really just a textbook, like mechanical, like it was just terrible. And then I took it and rewrote it and wrote it out with the narrative of my story of my life and taught these different concepts, not just like in one little thing, but as I learned them throughout and have some humor in there and make it a fun and entertaining read. And so I think it's a much better book now. But that was really the idea behind the book. And that's what the book teaches you. I mean, it teaches you how to look at these deals and the different things, you know, what does household income mean really? And how should you look at household income and those kinds of things?
1: Does it tell anything about like, be careful about bro- brokers pro formas and all that fake news of numbers and stuff like that?
2: <laughs> uh, I, I I think I allude to it here and there. You know, the, the book is really not, necessarily written for those who are looking to do things from an active perspective. Um, uh, although I think there's value in it. Like like Frank, I know you do a bunch of stuff and, and Jimmy, you're a real estate professional as well, right? So you guys are going to find probably the first half of the book to maybe the first two thirds of the book to be entertaining stories and fun and you'll probably laugh a lot. But you're not going to learn anything new. But when you get to the end, towards the end, I think you may learn a couple of things. For instance, I talk about an air rights deal that I did. I talk about a 1031 exchange. So these are some more advanced concepts that you guys have probably dabbled into one extent or another. But I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think either either of you have ever done an air rights deal.
0: Oh, I have not. I think the thing that you're talking about that's really important, though. Is that a lot of people are like, well, I already know a majority of the concepts that Matt is talking about in his book, so I'm not going to read it. And I think that that is part of my French, might have to put this out on the podcast, but I think it's <laughs> bullshit, right? Because I think there's something to be had, be said um for going back through concepts that you're familiar with and hearing someone else's perspective because mm-hmm. it could really be eye-opening. Like you may position it or change a word in the way that you describe it. That, that could lead to some type of personal gain uh, within the person reading it that they may not think about before. I mean, uh, I'm a huge believer in the universe, as Frank's probably tired of hearing about, but not at all. Recently, I've heard a couple of folks talking about Traction. It's a book by Gino Wickman, and I read it oh. uh, you know, two or yep. three years ago. Um, So I heard two people mention it. One's my new broker and one's a coach that I'm working with. And then I'm like, shoot, you know what? I really need to reread Traction. These are two guys that are referring back to the book. And yes, I've read it before. And yes, I'm familiar with the concepts, but guess what? Universe is telling me I need to read it. And I think that's important with what you're saying in the sense of, um, yes, the concepts may not be new to most investors, but I'm pretty sure if I read that book, there are probably two or three nuances to the way that you frame it. In, in the stories that you tell, that I can genuinely learn something that I can take value from, and that's super important.
2: I think the universe is telling me that I need to read Traction, and the first time I heard about it was when we did, when we did the podcast the last time, the last episode. You mentioned that book,
1: <laughs> and then funny. I
2: never heard about it. I never heard about it again until about two months ago, and it's been coming up a lot. I was just in a mastermind, and it came up, and and the that's reason the why it came up, up is the guys who wrote Traction, did they start that EOS thing, right? Is that them?
0: The I believe did. it is. Yes.
2: Yeah, which is like an uh, entrepreneur operating system, which is the yes. right EOS, which is a lot of people are starting to use this in their businesses. Um, yes. And it's, a, I guess, a whole system for- Setting up your, I don't know. I got to read the book and find Absolutely. out more.
0: Yeah. yeah, I've got to go back through it. Um, but yeah, if you're an entrepreneur, it helps you set up a, a system for you to cultivate, retain talent, and continue to grow your business.
2: That's awesome.
1: Be pre So I'm just wait, wait, wait. You
0: know. Nice. So Matt, if anybody's interested in ordering a copy of your book, where can they head? If, even if it's a pre-order right now, is there a website?
2: Yeah. It's on pre-order till February 9th. It's available everywhere that books are sold, but the best way to get to it, I think is just to go to my website, pecheni.com. I'll spell that it's P like in Peter, I C H E N Y.com. And I'm sure you'll also link to it in the show notes, but, um, you know, go in there, there's a link to, 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 to where you can buy it on Amazon. And there's a I also have like a newsletter that that has educational information and a blog and a whole bunch of resources on the on the website. So it's probably a good thing for people to check out.
0: Awesome! So you guys heard it here. Go check out Matt's website. Get his book. I'm very excited. I'm going to go pre order the book as well.
1: Frank already beat me to it. So <laughs> well, I'm on the mailing list and I'm already a passive investor of Matt. So you know. awesome. That's awesome.
2: awesome! That's true. That's true. And you'll both get it on the same day, even though he beat you because, you know, February 9th is when it comes out. And nice. and anyone who's listening to this podcast before February 9th, if you're thinking about getting it, get it before the 9th because it's cheaper. I mean, I'll make more money if you buy it starting on the 9th. But, you know, if you want to get it at a at a, at a massive discount, get it now and pre-order.
0: Sounds good. Uh, Matt, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Either a follow on social media or an email address, up to you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the best way is just really through the website. I mean, I have a contact us page there and email and all that other kind of stuff. I'm, I'm also on like LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff like that. But I think the website's kind of where I try to direct everyone to, to get a hold of me. You can set up a meeting with me directly from the website, just pick a time and date and, you know, we'll, we'll hop on a zoom or a phone call.
0: Awesome. So if you guys are looking to get uh, behind the curtain or <laughs> talk with that, uh <clears throat> Backstage uh, pass to real estate. If you want to get your backstage pass to real estate, uh, check out Matt's website. Pre-order his book, <laughs> book a meeting with him. And uh, I know uh, with the knowledge that Matt has shared with us, it should definitely help catapult your real estate career and whatever you choose. Um, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of the Cashflow Kings podcast. In between podcasts, check out our website, thecashflowkings.com. Also give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook under the handle thecashflowkings. Cheers to your success.
1: The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal tax or investment advice.